How to Live a Life and Be Fulfilled, Episode 25 of Psychotherapy with your host, Jet Dunlap, is about living a life. What does that mean? That sounds like an arbitrary, weird thing to say. Well, okay, sure. What are you doing in your life aside from what you must do, right? Live somewhere, take care of yourself, take care of your family. What are you doing to make these chapters in your life stand out? The year you wrote a book, the year you took that class, the year you learned how to sail. What are you doing in your life that's something you've always wanted to do? Learn how to dance. When's the right time to get started on that? How do I do that if I'm busy? Why should I do that? And will it take away from the rest of my life? Those answers hopefully are going to come to you in this episode, episode 25 of Psychotherapy. The first episode that is done with my little dog Falcor on the sideline here, laying on the cold cement in the basement, making sure my show is perfect so she will get production credit. Episode 25 starts right now. Now, this is a special episode for two reasons. I'm not saying a very special episode because I've done that before and I thought maybe it should be up to the audience to decide whether or not it is special or very special. Well, right now... One of the special things is that I have Mrs. Falcor, the dog. She's a Mrs. because she's married to dog Jesus, meaning that uh, she, like the Catholic Church, is a nun, uh, of course, because she was spayed before we got her. And uh, she's married to dog Jesus because that entertains me growing up Catholic. The nuns were married to Jesus. My dog is um, not able to reproduce, so she's married to dog Jesus. It's simple stuff. One plus one equals... My dog is married to dog Jesus. Anyway, so Falcor dog is here. That's the first time. Uh, interestingly enough, probably one of the only times I've mentioned her, although she's been a huge part of my life since 2012. She's a small nine pound Maltese. Sometimes when she gets a little hefty, around 11 pounds, but we're not going to hold that against her. She's a sweetheart. She's really made my wife and my life a hundred times better. That is not possible. hundred times? That's not a percentage, that's an increase. So yeah, a lot better. Anyway, that's the first one. Enough about Falcor the dog. The second one is, I have meant to talk about the same topic in the next episode that I said in the episode prior I would mention. I don't think I've done that much. Because there's a distance between the two episodes, uh, usually I'm taken by some kind of inspiration or lack thereof, frankly, in equal proportion, that sways me from doing that. But in this case, I'm actually going to talk about it because it's resonating with me right now and it is a topic that is is very important for you guys understanding the last two episodes. Living a life. I said in a couple of quotes, one was from my friend Eric Mansker who died of cancer. He was a stuntman in LA. I said he lived a life. The first time I remember saying that in reference to a person who had passed. And the same thing with my friend Jesse's mom, uh, who I worked with in a business together. And uh, she was a very passionate, awesome lady. And she died right before she was going to Fiji on a trip where she and her son owned a business together and she had lived a life. When I refer to that, I am saying you took this thing that we have in human form, whether religious, again, I try and show that there isn't really a big difference in all the beliefs as far as this life that we have, this linear life that we have. Anyway, so you take this life and you stretch that sometimes rigid, sometimes flexible membrane of life 
to a higher extent than another person. Both of these cases, Eric and Michelle Savage, who was uh, Jesse's mom, still is Jesse's mom, but no longer with us. She and he never knew each other, very different people, but they both lived a life. That has become important to me. Because when I look at my life and I go through this analysis, I analyze my life a lot and I run it under the microscope of societies, American societies, all the stuff that's specific to me. And I say, I have not gone according to that course. So therefore I am less than, but I've lived a life. And I've thought about that. Stephen Covey, the writer of The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and then I think he wrote The, the Eight Habits of Highly Effective People. Wow, he really uh, must have tore a muscle on that stretch. Talk about a cash grab. If I'm wrong, I apologize, Mr. Covey. If I'm right, how dare you? But he talked about writing your own obituary. <laughs> Any book I have, I'm not going to say write your own obituary. I mean, talk about a stretch for someone who's looking for personal development and they're like, write your whole life as if you've died and see if you're proud of where you are. I believe that it was in his book that they said this. You look at two people and you know them. You're going to look at someone who has everything in the tangible world, all the success. You go to a good school, you do well in high school, you get good grades, you go to college, you find a person, you marry that person, you get a good job, and then you do what your parents did and you're ending up looking for a good school for your kids 25 years after you were born, which is just a blink of an eye. But that's pretty standard. I think that the end of the Gen X, me, the millennials, my wife, and the I generation, they're going to shake that ant farm. You know, they're going to mix things up. But so far, those are still the parameters in which you hear the talking heads judging life on. Okay. I don't adhere to those rules. I'm guessing many of the people listening to this don't adhere to those rules. So are we living our life properly? They talk about this movement in the gig-based economy, and they talk about this movement to tiny homes, the idea of having a million-dollar house and working your entire life to support this place you live seems preposterous to me. My wife and I have lived in a tiny home four years. It would have been four years uh, this May. We decided to do that. You know my story. I dug the place out of the ground, out of a hill. We live there. We love it. It's great because we're not working for our mortgage. Now we're going to start buying investment properties. That way we can continue to live our life. So if I was to look at my life directly and speak to my life, all the things I talked about in the last episode and what I've talked about in this show in general, I would say I've done that. Have I been miserable a lot of it? Yeah, but that wasn't my fault. This show and my therapy and my extracurricular activities and working on my psyche, I've done as much as I can and I will continue to do as much as I can. I was born with these conditions that give me chemical imbalances that make me more apt to be depressed than the average person. That's diagnosed. I didn't self-diagnose. That's from doctors. That's from psychiatrists. That's from 15 years of therapy. I only say that because self-diagnosis is a dangerous thing. If you just think you're depressed, please see someone, a professional, and figure out if that's really what's going on with you because you may be just giving a label to something and then altering your lifestyle to fit into the parameters of what you think you are. And therefore, you may be putting depression on yourself when that's just not the case. You're sad or sick or just something else is going on. Anyway, I've lived a life. I've done things my way, like in that Sinatra song. And that's important. You know, when I look at the funerals I've gone to, and yesterday was my cousin Eric's, eight years ago he died, 
And he was my martial arts instructor, a very close friend of mine. We built cars together. He died of methamphetamines and uh, alcohol. His brother, who's a surgeon, Christian, also died of alcohol about two weeks before him. Tragic, sad, but that's not this episode. It really informed my decisions as far as sobriety and informed decisions of my cousin Quinn, who's been sober. And this guy got sober and lived one of those lives. Quinn, my God. I'm digressing for a minute here, but Quinn, he got sober and the world wrapped up a gift and said, here you go, Quinn. You're the best guy in the world. He's handsome. He's extremely talented, but he's also unbelievably lucky. If you've ever seen the Warrior Stadium, the basketball team, all the pictures around the outside of that place are his pictures, his photographs. He has everything anyone would ever want who's tried to go into the arts, and he keeps getting luckier and luckier. So what a lot of people are promised when they get sober is a great example. If you want to, if you're thinking about getting sober and you want to look at an example of what could be possible, contact me and I'll show you Quinn. Don't look at me because I only drank two years of my 30s and I suck. You know, I would say, don't look at the Jet story, go look at the Quinn story. You know, I'm like the Russian space program in the 60s, and Quinn is like the American space program in the 60s. Anyway, you get my point. I, I took a little sidetrack there on Quinn Street, but uh, back back to me. I, uh, and what I mean by that is I have done a lot of things. My brother, when he had um, the toast at our wedding, he was one of my best men. And I've said before, Stephen and Chris were average men at best. Um, they're not even that tall. I mean, you put them together and they're well, I'd be, they'd, be, they'd be a giant then because they're like five foot seven. So that doesn't really work. Stephen had a toast at my wedding that was about my life and what I've done. DJ, manager, talent manager. I worked in the newspaper business, hosting, television production, media production, consulting, all these things. If I laid out all my business cards from different businesses, you'd see they'd cover an entire table and not a small table, not a child's table, a giant's table. And I think I went into that long enough. But the point is, is he talked about how many things I've done. And that used to be an insult. Jack of all trades, master of fill in the blank. None. That's right. I used to think, oh my God, I'm a loser. What am I doing? I can't figure out what I want to do. But what I've been doing is stretching that membrane of life, right? All these things that if you look at the end of your life, you will go, wow, I did all that. You know, rock climbing in the mountains in the Alabama hills last year was terrifying. When I was going from one hole to another, just meaning I wasn't clipped in from one area to another, I'm walking like 15 feet up this windy, very sharp rock face, and then I'm clipping in. That was amazing. Jumping out of airplanes. That was amazing. I talked about it very briefly on my last episode, but I did a documentary about old World War II biplanes where I'm leaning out of the side of these things with a camera going across the Pacific Ocean. I directed that. All those things were experiential. And I was kind of early on that because a long time ago, I valued that. I said, okay, well, building this tower of wealth, this tower of stuff is bullshit. All those things were meaningless compared to the experiences you have. And I have to keep reminding myself that because it is our nature to fall into the pattern of let's just sit down and watch streaming TV. Now, not to say I don't do that. I mean, I do do that, but I don't let it be the only thing I do. I talked about in the last one how I know I need to do stand-up comedy next. And ever since I did that episode, I've been really excited about it. Sharing it with you guys has fired me up more than ever telling anyone in the past that I was going to do it, because now I know I'm committed. Because I've told this audience that can't disappoint. These are people who listen to me, and you know who they are because you're them, and expect 
certain things out of me, authenticity, right? And I mean, stuff that even makes me look crazy, like talking about how the fact that I, that I lost my mind, all these embarrassing things, tough things to talk about that I've never even talked about to my closest friends, I'm spilling out to you. And one of my scariest ones is stand-up comedy. But that's going to be a new chapter in my life. And if it's the ultimate chapter, that's awesome. If I finally find my audience and the group of people where my words resonate with them and I bring joy to their life that without me, they couldn't have had. Incredible. But if it doesn't, you've listened to this show. I'm going to keep doing this. I'm going to keep speaking. And I can do both. And doing both is something I wanted to inform you guys of in this podcast. So I'm glad I got back to it. You may be thinking, well, Jet, my plate is full. I keep coming back to children. Uh, I don't have any, but a great friend of mine, Sean Epps, I love this dude. He was my assistant manager at AT AT&T. We knew each other all the way back to Circuit City. I've known this guy since like 2003. He just had a baby yesterday. So congratulations to Sean Epps and his uh, significant other. That's just beautiful. Staying on the topic of Sean, I talked to my friend Sean Rice today. He's a professional photographer. And when I was talking to him, his baby was in the background. I could hear her. So I want to talk to the people whose life is busy who aren't me, who aren't the people in the entertainment industry. I'm talking to the people who have a day job, like the Shans, and have kids, and have all these responsibilities that I don't. What you're thinking is, how do I expand my experience? How do I stretch that membrane of life to be able to feel like these chapters actually matter? And what I mean by chapters is, you don't want to look back at any age and say, oh, all I did was that after I got out of college, and how did I get here? You don't want it to slip by. You want it to have like, oh, that's when I was doing that really awesome thing where I was taking pottery and I did all that stuff. I don't know about pottery. That seems kind of lame, but that's for you to judge. Okay, not pottery. You wanted to write that book and you did it. These are pieces in the puzzle of your life that makes it so much richer, right? But I want to talk to the people who have all this responsibility. I want you to think of your life as if right now, everything that you are doing are ice cubes in a glass, okay? And you're thinking, I can't do anything more. I want you to think of the liquid that's poured on that ice in that cup as the stuff you can do outside of the things you're doing now. So the liquid around the ice, they only complement each other, right? That's the point of this story, is that I want you to understand that there are those free moments. This podcast, I record it, it takes me about hour and a half, two hours at different times of the day to finish this thing. I guarantee you if you have an iPhone and you look at your screen time at the end of the week, you're spending seven hours, especially if you have a day job on your iPhone. So if you are like many people and you want to record a podcast, you want to do something like this, you can do that in these little sections between the ice in those 20 minutes. Steal 20 minutes three, four times a day and you're going to be able to do this. I don't care what you do, okay? You're going to be able to do that thing that you've been putting off forever. And I made a lot of suggestions in the last one. You know, a lot of them are recreational. Some of it may be weight loss or whatever the case is. I think that the most important thing a healthy person can do is expand that experience. Put those flagpoles in the ground and say, this year I started this. It changes everything. You know, I wanted to rock climb my entire life, but I was afraid because my dad was afraid. I wasn't even afraid. It was just my dad didn't like the idea of it in the 90s. So I put it off until I was 39 years old. Now I love it. Now it informs where I go on trips. Now a ton of my friends, you know, 10 people that I met in the last year through rock climbing. I look at the mountains from a totally different way, even though I've loved the mountains my whole life. I didn't know what I didn't know, right? I didn't know there was something out there that I loved 
that I just wasn't paying attention to because I hadn't explored that part of my life. Now I'm starting welding. I started welding the other day when I was trying to put, I talked about it in episode, um, God, what was it like 19 when I was in Mammoth? I started welding because I was trying to put a trailer hitch on my FJ so I could tow the trailer. But then I started welding. I'm like, I want to get into welding. I've gotten into woodwork. You know, one year was was where Jaina and I did our wedding. One year was where we built our house. The other year was, you know, where we were pursuing acting. Jaina and I actually got to be on a TV show together. All of these things are big, significant moments that can differentiate the years. And the differentiation of the years is so key. That blending is tough. Thinking bigger. You know, I'm a guy who never wanted to get married, but then I asked my wife to marry me when I was 33 years old at Club 33 at Disneyland on my birthday on the balcony. The the theme of this podcast is really what I alluded to in the last one, which is I've told you before career-wise, do what you love. I've told you before passion, dreams. This is that extracurricular thing that you can do to make those adjustments in your life to make it a signature chapter in your experience that you can look back on, but it doesn't take everything. This can enrich you so much, but you don't have to quit your day job that has medical insurance, which is super crucial to people like the Sean's I mentioned earlier who have children. They need that kind of stuff. This is exploring that thing that interests you. And maybe it is your passion and you just put your toe in the water, but that's how you live a life. That's how to be morbid for one second. I don't think it is. I think it's the opposite of morbidity. But when at the end of your life, they'll go, this guy did this. Picture the slideshow of your life. All these epic shots of you doing cool stuff. Doing stuff that you thought in your head, man, I want to do that. I sang to my wife at our wedding. I've never sang anything in my life. But in front of my grandmother, in front of my whole family, I sang a Frank Sinatra song to my wife. It probably sucked. But I did it. I did it. And that's a thing I've done. And I get to keep that with me. So if it's singing karaoke, if it's rollerblading across the world, that's crazy. Don't know where that came from. Don't do that or do that. Whatever it is, it's just the liquid around the ice in your life. You can add it to this experience. It doesn't need to be the all or nothing thing. Thanks for listening, friend. I'll talk to you next time. I'm Jet Dunlap, and this was Psychotherapy.